Sound Minds Radio, getting you behind the research and ideas in contemporary life. This episode produced by Michael Schubert. Sound Minds Radio, part of the Community Radio Network. Soundminds.com.au Welcome to the Sound Minds 5-Minute Research Pitch 2017 Finals Presentations. The 5-Minute Research Pitch is a competition for academics to present their research in 5 minutes. That's it. Researchers from 7 universities competed this year within their university in two categories, Science and Health and Arts, Humanities and Social Sciences. The winner in each category progresses to the finals. This year the competition was hosted by Central Queensland University, hosting the competitors from seven universities. Central Queensland, the Australian Catholic University, Charles Sturt, Southern Cross, Southern Queensland, Tasmania and Victoria University. To compete in the five-minute research pitch takes more than knowledge about your research. It takes preparation and precision. If you go over five minutes, you're disqualified. And if the slides don't work, you're on your own. Competitors take it seriously because communication is important in an academic career. Sure, academic careers are about research, but they're also about communicating to your peers, to your students, to the public. And you never know when you may need to communicate to a potential funding body. Though for an academic, succinct communication skills are essential. In this episode, we feature two academics from Southern Queensland University. Dr. Adina Piovasana, a lecturer in ethics and psychology and psychological assessment, who has been researching sports-related concussion to shine a spotlight on the serious cognitive and psychological effects they can have in her talk, Buddy Franklin Tackles a Car, and Dr. Tracy Colby-Alexander, a senior lecturer in the School of Health and Wellbeing, whose research is examining the effects shift work can have on the body. Her talk, A Hard Day's Night, Moving Shift Workers Towards Health. Now, Sound Minds has covered sports research in the past. Consider listening to hypermasculinity in sport. It's a fascinating topic. Also, an episode called Coaching the Coach that has some relationship with our next talk. Dr. Adini Piavasana says that research indicates that the force of a tackle is similar to hitting the windscreen of a car travelling at 40 kilometres per hour. While there are current protocols and tools used when dealing with concussion in sports, they aren't sensitive enough to capture the cognitive and psychological effects concussions are having on players. And there is no consistency across the different sporting codes, including Australian rules football. One of the most prominent players in recent times is Lance Buddy Franklin. Listen now to Buddy Franklin Tackles a Car. We are a sporting nation. It is in our blood and ingrained in our culture. And not only do we start young, but we like to play rough. When you get hit hard, there is an expectation, a competitiveness in you as an Australian to get up and keep playing. League, union, AFL, hard hits are intrinsic to our beloved sports. But would you tell Billy Slater, Buddy Franklin, or whoever you idolise on the sporting field to get up 
and walk away if you just saw them hit by a car? The force of a tackle has been shown to be not that dissimilar from someone hitting the windscreen of a car traveling 40 kilometers an hour. Now multiply that numerous times over the course of a game, a season, a career. 140 games were missed by players because of concussion in the 2016 AFL season. That equates to approximately six players per club. With an average playing career of six years, the odds don't look good for these players. Multiple blows to the head, with or without actually being concussed, without knocking out, leads to traumatic brain injury. So what price are we putting on our national sporting identity? Hi, I'm Adina Pulizana, and I want you to know that sports-related concussion is my priority. The research is clear about the risks. Chronic and progressive brain damage has been identified in the brains of past elite athletes, not to mention the increased rates of depression and suicide in these individuals. Your brain floats in a liquid designed to cushion it from hitting your skull when we move. But the force of a tackle can be so great that your brain actually smashes into your skull, causing your brain to bruise. This is why approximately 3.8 million Americans suffer from sports-related concussion per year. To make matters worse, these individuals have been given the green light to get back on the field and play while being concussed, leading to more severe and permanent health outcomes. Why is this happening? This is the problem my research is addressing. There is no consensus to the most reliable and accurate way to identify and manage sports-related concussion. There is no standard or uniform approach and no single superior screening tool. This is where my research comes into it. I am testing the cognitive and psychological functioning of elite athletes before they actually play their first professional game. What this means is I'm looking at their reading, language, problem solving, attention and memory abilities. I'm also looking at how quickly they can work with visual information, their visual tracking or how quickly they move their eyes, and their hand-eye coordination. But equally important is their levels of psychological distress. So I am measuring their levels of depression, anxiety, and anger. When a player is concussed, I then retest them with a briefer but still sensitive battery of tests and compare these results with their pre-football levels. This essentially creates a protocol that takes into account their actual injury, the symptoms they present with, their individual risk factors such as their medical history and their individual test results. My research is answering the question about if and when a player is able to get back on the field and play after being concussed. The results of my research will inform changes to sideline screening and will be used to inform sporting guidelines and policy. There is a pervasive attitude of underreporting or not following concussion protocol in the field. We need to change how sport in Australia is played and how we test and view for concussion. We treat our athletes like national heroes, but these men and women are at risk of developing brain damage as we watch on. So my take home message is that this is a very costly issue. Direct and indirect sports related costs cost the US economy approximately $56 billion per year. So, the message is, is that all athletes, the elite, but also your children, who play rugby on Saturdays, 
should be able to participate in sports in a manner that is safe. And if they are concussed, they are assessed, treated and managed to the same degree as someone who's been hit by a car. Sports concussion does not discriminate. And it is my hope that long term, my research will benefit all high impact sports. Dr. Tracy Colby-Alexander's research examines the effects shift work can have on the body, looking at the role of physical activity and other lifestyle behaviours on prevention and treatment of non-communicable diseases such as heart disease. Tracy says, shift workers are often time poor, have disruptive patterns and find it hard to fit in physical activity. My research is looking at ways to bring physical activity to shift workers with the hope they become more active, less fatigued, have an improved sense of well-being, and most importantly, a reduced risk of heart disease. Listen now to A Hard Day's Night, moving shift workers towards health. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Tracy Colby-Alexander, and I'd like to tell you about A Hard Day's Night. Now, nod your head if you or someone you know has ever needed to go to the hospital really late at night or in the early hours of the morning. I see quite a few heads nodding. I'm sure that in those situations, you would have hoped that the nurses are working to the best of their ability so that they can take really good care of you or your loved one. But put yourself in the shoes of a shift worker for a moment. A shift worker is someone that works outside the normal nine to five working hours, and they typically rotate between night and day shifts. So think about the last time you had a really late night or two and had to go to work the next day. How did you feel? Were you as productive as normal? Did you pack a healthy lunch that morning? And what's the chances of you going for a gym session or an exercise session after work that afternoon? Well, these are some of the challenges that shift workers face. Australia has more than 365,000 nurses registered, and many need to work shifts in order to ensure that the healthcare system operates 24-7. These nurses face challenges. They are fatigued, they have a lack of sleep. It means that they find it very difficult to follow a healthy lifestyle, which includes having a balanced diet and being physically active. And this has a negative impact on their productivity, their health and well-being, and it also increases their risk for disease. In fact, other researchers have shown us that shift workers have a 40% higher risk of heart disease than those that don't work shifts. So this is where my research fits in. I'm trying to solve the problem that shift workers face by being at increased risk for heart disease and the difficulties or challenges they have in leading a healthy lifestyle. As a start, I used a motion counter called an accelerometer to measure nurses' physical activity and sitting behaviors. My findings show that nurses sit more than 60% of their time, even when they're at work. So they're not as active as we think they are. This information, together with other information I obtained from discussions and interviews, led me to develop an intervention program specifically for shift workers and nurses. At the start, I asked them to tell me about themselves, their work schedules, 
And importantly, I asked them to set a physical activity goal that they wanted to achieve over the next eight weeks. And then I used my favorite device, the accelerometer, to measure the levels of activity. Over the next eight weeks, each nurse received a Fitbit which tracks their physical activity and they received an individualized text message from me once a week. This text message was special because it was based on their previous week's physical activity and the goal they set for themselves. So it was trying to encourage physical activity behavior change. Then at the end, I repeated all the measurements again. While well, my findings showed that the nurses did increase their levels of physical activity, but the changes were very small. And it highlighted that behavior change is challenging and it's hard. And in my case, it literally happens one step at a time. The nurses did report though that they liked using the Fitbit device to track their activity and they appreciated the text message because it was a prompt for them to go, oh, I need to get active. So this intervention forms part of the broader scope of my research, where I'm trying to work out which interventions have the best chances of success in improving nurses' health and keeping them physically active for longer. Is it a physical activity intervention? Is it a dietary intervention? Is it a combination of both? And when and how should these be implemented, bearing in mind the challenges that shift workers face? Now, if these interventions are successful, it has the potential to have a triple win. Firstly, nurses will be healthier and happier. Secondly, we, as everyday Australians, will receive better health care. Thirdly, the government will experience significant cost savings in terms of reduced health care expenditure and reduced productivity. So next time you see a nurse walking down the road, give him or her a really big smile and a bright thank you because there's a chance that they could have just come off a hard day's night. Thanks for listening to Sound Minds Radio, the project that aims to explore the thinking behind the ideas in contemporary life, creating stories about research in the words of the researcher. Visit our website, where there are over 40 archived episodes for you to enjoy, and please contact us with ideas, critique, and suggestions for researchers to interview. You've been listening to another episode from Sound Minds Radio. Produced for the Community Radio Network. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or visit our website, soundminds.com.au.